0: Hello, my friends, and welcome again to The Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who He is, and what He's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining me, friends. This is our fourth episode looking at the book of Kings. We have seen how the kings that God has set over His people have led the people of God and the kingdom of God right off a cliff. They have been conquered and exiled first by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and it seems like all hope is lost. And that God's promises have failed. But we know that cannot take place. And so, our fourth theme for consideration is this the author of Kings gave hope for kingdom restoration beyond exile. Now, just a couple of reminders here, friends. As you read through Samuel and Kings, you will often see different events. As mentioned being, oh, this is recorded in this book, and this book is recorded in this book, and these events recorded over here. And what likely took place is as these events are taking place over the centuries, the prophets of God, the people of God are writing down the words of God and the events that are taking place. And while the nation of Israel is sitting in exile, a group of men and women sat together and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit took these different sources and edited and arranged them into the story that we have today. And they were men and women of faith. And so they understood that their current situation, exile, was not the last word. And so they shaped this story to, yes, be honest about the failure of God's people, but also to point God's people forward to a future hope that their sin cannot touch because God's faithfulness is unassailable. So by the end of the book, the people of Israel have lost their land. They're not in the land of Canaan anymore. They've lost their leadership. The last kings from the line of David have all been exiled and thrown into prison. They've lost their temple. The Babylonians destroyed the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, and they've lost their freedom. Those few left in the land serve under the Babylonians, and most of them have been exiled out and are living in sort of refugee camps scattered around the Babylonian empire. And as we know, all of this happened, not because the Babylonian army was stronger, but because of Israel's covenant rebellion. And so we close by looking at two final stories from David's family. Now, the first story highlights the negative influence of David's family on the people of God. After the destruction of Jerusalem, a destruction brought about in no small part by the sin of the kings from the line of David, a group of rebels led by another man from the line of David. This man was not a king, but rather a sort of cousin in the Davidic line. They assassinate the new governor of the land, a fellow Israelite appointed by the Babylonians. And the people, fearing what the Babylonians will do to them, decide that they're going to flee to Egypt. We read about this in 2 Kings 25, 22 through 26. And over the people who remain in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left, he appointed Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, governor. From everything we know about this man, he was a godly and good man. He, he could have been a good leader. And it says, Now when all the captains and their men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah governor, they came with their men to Gedaliah and Mizpah. So as the Babylonians had invaded, drips and drabs of Israelites had fled and were just sort of been hiding out in the wilderness. And now that the Babylonians are gone, they're kind of drifting back to Jerusalem trying to rebuild their shattered lives so it says these men come to Gedaliah at Mizpah, namely Ishmael the son of Nethanel and Johanan the son of Cariah and Sariah the son of Tahumoth, the Nethinite, and Jazaniah the son of the Machepite. And Gedaliah swore to them and their men, saying, "Do not be afraid because of the Chaldean officials. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you." But in the seventh month, Ishmael the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama of the royal family came with ten men and struck down Gedaliah and put him to death with the Jews and the Chaldeans who were with them at Mizpah. Then all the people, both small and great, and the captain of the forces arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. Now, Egypt has been in the Israelite mind for hundreds of years, the place of slavery. And God explicitly said, don't go back to Egypt. Deuteronomy 17:16. The king must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. Jeremiah tells the people who are considering fleeing Babylonian reprisals and running down to Egypt, he says, don't go. He says, hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. If you set your faces to enter Egypt and go to live there. Then the sword that you fear shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And the famine of which you are afraid shall follow close after you to Egypt. And there you shall die. But they don't listen. You could almost say that's the the banner over the entire Old Testament. But they don't listen. David's family is leading people to the grave. And this is the story of Israel's destruction. David's family leading them into the grave. God is not done, however, with the nation of Israel or the family of David. God had made promises to the nation of Israel as a whole. And one of those promises was restoration after exile. Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 10. And when all these things, these things being the covenant curses and exile and destruction, God's saying before they even go into the promised land, I, I know that you're going to do this. I know you're going to rebel. And I'm going to bring my judgment down on you. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possess, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers, when you obey the voice of the Lord your God, and to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. The people have messed up, but God knew they were going to mess up, and he has a plan for how to restore them after they fail. God has made promises to the nation of Israel, and he will keep them. And God has made promises to David, and he will keep that promise too. This is the great promise of 2 Samuel 7, 12-16, where God says to David, When your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity... I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Promises to Israel, promises to David. God's going to keep these promises. And this fact is highlighted by the second and final story about David's family in the book of Kings. Josiah is the last In some ways, best king from the line of David. And when he dies, over the last 20 years of Judah's existence, we get four kings. They're all either Josiah's sons or grandsons. And they get put on the throne and taken off the throne by different foreign powers. They're all bad. The third of these men is a young man named Jehoiachin. And he reigns for just a few short months before he's snatched off the throne by the king of Babylon and taken off to prison. And he languishes in prison for decades, a forgotten man, I'm sure many, one of many foreign kings thrown into a dungeon in the Babylonian empire. But this king comes from a family to whom God has made promises. And so this man, imprisoned for decades in Babylon, is miraculously and graciously freed from prison. And this is the very last paragraph of the book of Kings. It's 2 Kings 25, 27 through 30. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. Now it's not much, but it's a glimmer of hope. Not all from the line of David are dead. As Yahweh said in 1 Kings 11:39, I will afflict the offspring of David because of their sin, but not forever. And God's promises never fail. And so the author of Kings wants us to look squarely at our sins and failures and understand the mess that we make in our life when we turn away from worshiping the true God. But he wants to instill in us a sense of hope. Hope remains. Because for the first readers of the book of Kings, the greater David was still to come. And for us reading the book of Kings today, that's actually still the case. We have hope because our greater David, the ultimate David, Jesus Christ, has come once and he has conquered our true enemies and he is the king and the priest and the prophet that we have been longing for and he will come again to utterly destroy evil, to restore all of creation and to give us our true heart's desire. And That's why we say come quickly, Lord Jesus. So friends, the next time we come together, Lord willing, we're going to look at some lessons that we can learn from the book of Kings. But for now, take up and read. God bless.